You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson. How can we come to a place of having and knowing that we have eternal life. Well, the best place and the first place I always like to start is Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And I'll try to put them on the board so that for those of you in television at least, you can uh, check them out in case you don't get them. Uh, Romans 3, 23. For all have come short of the glory of God. All have come short. They cannot meet God's criteria. They in no way can claim to be good enough to enter God's heaven. In fact, I think it may have been the navigators, I'm not sure, it was either navigators or Campus Crusade, who in their little helps for students uh, witnessing one-on-one, -on -one, admonished their students not to just ask someone, are you a Christian? because invariably people will say yes. But instead you ask them, how or why should God let you into his heaven? And I myself have used that now over the years. It's the best way to start. Why should God let you into his heaven? And then you'll hear all the various reasons. And uh, by approaching them that way, you see, you sort of put them on the soapbox. And you let them express themselves, and it's amazing what I have heard. And you know, and I don't get around as much as a lot of people. Of all the various reasons that people will give as to why they think God should let them into his heaven. And they'll invariably overlook Romans 3.23. But see, this is the very first step of faith on that road to salvation is to recognize that in ourselves we are lost. We are like sheep without a shepherd. We are separated from God because of the fall of Adam, who was the federal head of the whole human race. And consequently, the scripture says it. I don't. I would never judge anybody. I, how could I? But the scripture says everyone has come short of the glory of God, which means we can't enter God's heaven unless God does something on our behalf. All right, and the next verse I always like to use in a, in a situation like this is Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. And that verse says, for the wages of sin are death. And then the last half of the verse is the flip side, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
All right, now as you deal with someone, and that's the reason we're doing this, hopefully uh, sometime you'll have an opportunity, maybe with a child or a grandchild or a co-worker or a neighbor or whoever, and just let them see these verses in their Bible. Don't let them have to take your word for anything. Let them read it. And now Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. And point out, wages are something that you work for. Wages are never a gift. Wages are what you get in return for something you have done. Now, what the Scripture is pointing out then, the old Adamic nature, that nature we're born with, has only one direction, and that is death, eternal death. And everything that that lost person does, be it good or bad, is piling up wages for his eternal doom. That's what the Scripture says. But the flip side, the last half of 623 says, the gift of God is eternal life. Now, you see the difference between wages and gift? Wages you work for, that's what you deserve, but a gift is something you do not deserve. And that's what salvation is all about. It's a gift. It's not something that you can do one iota of work to earn. It has to be a gift. Now then, I'd like to have you come back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, a well-known verse, where Paul now writes in this same book of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God. Not church membership, not a baptism, not a work, but it's the gospel that is the power of God unto what? Salvation. Now, you remember when we were back in Romans chapter 1, I spent almost a half hour or more on that word salvation. It's that all-inclusive word that implies everything that God does on the behalf of the believer who cries out, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of salvation. I believe that Christ died for me, then God does everything else. He imputes righteousness. He forgives. He cleanses. He baptizes us into the body. He does everything that needs to be done. How do we know He did it? By faith. You're not going to feel any of those things. You're not going to see any of those things. But you're going to know that He did it because the book says so. All right, now then, what is the gospel? Here we have to leave Romans for a second. And we have to go back to that portion that we've used over and over, even on the program, 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses. And here is the gospel. Now, I've got nothing against John 3.16, so please don't misunderstand me. But John 3.16 by itself is not the gospel. It is certainly a part of it once you understand the gospel. But the gospel that we better believe if we want eternal life, if you want to have entrance into God's heaven, is here in 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses. All ready to read them? Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. See how plain that is? The gospel. Which I preached unto you, and which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are what? Saved. It's a biblical word. It's by the gospel that you are saved. If, 
naturally. It's conditional. You better understand, you better know what you believe, unless you've believed in vain. Now, verse 3. Here it is. For I delivered, Paul says, unto you that which I also received. In other words, remember his experience on the road to Damascus when the ascended, glorified Lord, not Jesus of Nazareth in his earthly ministry, but the crucified, buried, and resurrected Lord from heaven stopped that renegade Jew, religious as he was, outside the city of Damascus and saved him by grace, then took him out into the desert and revealed to him then this gospel, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. In other words, this was all pre-planned before anything was ever created, that God would create man, man would sin, and find himself in need of a Savior, of a Redeemer. And so God set everything in motion and brought about Christ in his earthly ministry, brought about his crucifixion, and raised him from the dead, brought him back into the very... Uh, portals of heaven from which now he has revealed these things that Paul calls the secrets or the mysteries, and the very core of that is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins. All right, now while you're out of Romans, just turn over a few pages to Ephesians, turn to the right, to Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> I'm going to make this as plain as I know how to make it. And I know it works because I've seen so many that have come from various backgrounds and from various lifestyles, and they have come to be what the Scriptures calls living epistles. They are trophies of God's grace, not anything that Les Feldick did, but only that they saw what the book says. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's start at verse 12. Ephesians 1, starting with verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory, we who first trusted or believed or placed our faith in Christ, in whom you also trusted. Now, do you see how evident it is what I'm always saying? Paul writes to the believer. See, he isn't, he isn't writing to a lost person here. He's writing to you and I as believers. And he says, in whom you also believed. After. Now watch this. My, I've had more than one couple from various denominations after I read this verse just literally have their eyes bugged open. They said, we never saw this before. This isn't what we've been taught. But here it is. After you heard the word of truth, and what's the word of truth? The gospel, see? That Christ died, was buried, and rose from the dead. So after you've heard the gospel and you've been able to consider it and you're old enough to understand that not only are you a sinner, but now you can understand that Christ is the remedy. All right, read on. In whom also after that you believe. Now you see all the things it doesn't say. Doesn't say anything about church membership. Now, I'm not against the local church. See, I have to keep reminding people. I'm just stressing what salvation is. And there are all these other things follow. But when it comes to salvation, you can't put church membership because it's not in here. 
You can't put in a baptism. I don't care whether you sprinkle or pour or immerse or whatever else. It's not in here. And after that you believed, then what did God do? He sealed you. He branded you. Now, I'm still a cowman. I've been working cattle every day lately. I'm still a cowman. And one of the very marks of ranching is the what? The brand. And it demarks ownership. Now, that's exactly what the indwelling Holy Spirit is for God. It is his mark of ownership. And we're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the down payment of our inheritance. All right, now then, let's come back into the book of Romans. And now let's look at chapter 5 and verse 8. My, these verses are, are just loaded if people will just examine them. Romans 5, verse 8. I'll give you time to find it. Romans 5, verse 8. But God, see, the almighty creator, triune God, commendeth, extended his love toward us. See, everything is based on his love. This is the reason, in fact, that came up in one of my classes just the other night. And, it, and it's a, always a valid question. Why did God create mankind if he knew, and he did, that man would become such a disappointment when he would just become such a rebel and create such a catastrophe on the planet. Why did God ever create him in the first place? To have someone he could love and a creature who could respond to that love. Now, that's the whole idea, as I've said so often, of the marriage relationship. That's why Paul says in Ephesians, Husbands, love your wives. Extend that love to the, to the female of the species. And God has put within her a what? A responder. And she will respond to that love. Now, that's what God does in the big picture to the whole human race. He extends his love. That was the whole idea of the cross, that he loved us and gave himself for us. And then he has every right in the world and heaven to expect that love to be responded to. Now, you see, people will sometimes say, how can a God of love and mercy send people to an eternal hell? Well, that's why. Because he's already loved them to the very extent that heaven could offer. And he gave it to every human being who has ever lived. And when a human being spurns that love, then God in his sovereignty has every right in the world to reject them at the great white throne. And that's why I stand here and teach that this book was given the human race for basically the sole purpose of helping people to escape this wrath of a righteous God. All right, so he has commended his love toward us in that while we were yet or still what? Sinners. God doesn't expect people to straighten up and clean up their life and then approach him for salvation. You know, I've had people tell me, and I always had people tell, well, if I can just do this, and if I can just clean up my life, if I can get rid of this habit, then I'll get saved. That's not the way God works. God saves 
everybody just exactly where we are. And then he does the work of regeneration. We don't. He does it. And that's what he wants. You see, he wants all the credit. He wants all the glory. So he commendeth his love toward us in that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, my. Let's go to chapter 5, the same chapter, and drop over to verse 20. I think this is a verse that probably isn't even in the list that R.L. put up, but it's a good one. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Romans 5, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered 1,500 years B.C. with Moses coming down off the mountain, and he introduced the law to the nation of Israel. So the law entered, that is the human experience, that the offense, that man's sin, might abound. Now, it doesn't mean that it's going to make it worse, but that it might be seen for what it really is. Because until the written law appeared, man could only go by conscience. But when the written law came, there was no doubt that everything man was doing, even after searing his conscience, it was breaking God's law, and it became sin. All right? But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Every one of us know of somebody that we think is so ungodly, they are so hateful towards God, they live the life of a reprobate, and most people don't even like to associate with them, but God still loves them. And God is able to reach below the vilest sinner and lift him up and make him a saint. So where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And that's why Paul refers to his gospel then as the gospel of the grace of God. All right, now then in the closing minutes, let's go over to chapter 10. Romans 10. <clears throat> and let's come down through verses 9 through 13. I always like to end up, if I lead someone to the Lord, as we call it, with verse 13. But let's start up here in Romans 10 at verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. In other words, God expects you to communicate this not only to himself, but to others. God is a communicator, and he expects us to verbalize some of these things. I'm afraid too many people have just gone through and they've had a mental ascent, and they said, well, yeah, I believe in God. That's not what God is looking for. God is looking for a verbalization of all of these various steps. You tell God that you recognize from Scripture that you're a sinner. Tell Him out loud. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a child of Adam. And I have no reason to expect you to take me into your heaven. Because that's what your book tells me. Verbalize it. Say it out loud. In the same way when we call on Him for salvation. Don't just assume that God reads your heart, although He certainly can. But He wants us to actually audibly say it out loud and say, Lord, I want you to save me. I believe that what you've done, you've done on my behalf. All right, so verse 9 now then, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth verbally the Lord Jesus. Now here we have to go beyond the Jesus of his earthly ministry, remember, 
because he hadn't died then yet. But as soon as he finished the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection, he now becomes Lord. And oh, I can't emphasize that enough. He becomes Lord of our life. And he becomes not just Jesus, but he becomes Jesus Christ, the Lord, or the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it is only proper to approach him on those terms. So if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt... What's the next word again? Believe. See? And believing is not something that you do with your hands or your feet. Believing is an attitude of the heart. And so if you will believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Now, I know it's not all in here, but he couldn't have raised him from the dead unless he what? Unless he died. So that's implied. So if you believe that Christ died, was buried, and rose again from the dead, what's the promise? What's the promise? Thou shalt be saved. That's a promise. God said it. Oh, I know the Apostle Paul wrote it, but God said it. And this is where he wants us to come, that we say, all right, God, you said it. I believe it with all my heart. Then what does God become? Duty-bound. He is duty-bound to fulfill his word. Otherwise, this book is a lie. But he is. He's duty-bound, and he will fulfill what he said he would do. All right, verse 10. For with the heart. Now, here's, I think, I don't want to scare people, but I think here's where we all have to self-examine once in a while. Am I just believing a head knowledge, or am I believing with all my innermost being that Christ died for the world, for me? So with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. That's an imputed thing. And as soon as we believe the, God, the gospel, God imputes, you remember, his righteousness? Remember when we were back in chapter 3 in our early study in Romans? How that, just like when he killed the animals for Adam and Eve, and it says, and he clothed them, and I pointed out, that wasn't the covering of their nakedness. That was covered when it says he gave them coats of skins. But the last part of that verse in Genesis, and he clothed them. With what? Righteousness. Righteousness. And then you remember I took you to Isaiah chapter 61, and Isaiah said the same thing. Thou hast clothed me with the garments of righteousness. And then remember I took you into Romans chapter 3 where Paul says the same thing happens unto all that what? Believe. Unto all that believe. Now he's saying the same thing here that with the heart man believes under righteousness, that God can actually clothe him with the righteousness of Christ. And then with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Now, it isn't that you have to tell somebody before you can be saved, but whenever you've experienced something good, and I always, of course, uh, when I was a kid, I loved cars, and I still do, I guess, but I know when we were in high school, what was our, what was our favorite bragging right? Well, our car. Boy, if you had someone that could go from zero to 60 or something like that a little bit faster than that guy, that was bragging rights. And it should be the same way with our salvation. I mean, we should be ready to talk about it at the drop of a hat. 
just as easily as we talk about the weather, we should be able to talk about these spiritual things that God has done on my behalf. See, I know I'm going to heaven when I die, and that's not a braggadocious statement because I'm deserving it. I'm going to heaven because I know that Christ did everything on my behalf. I've done nothing. I am no deserving, none whatsoever. You don't believe me? Ask my wife, see? Uh, none of us are deserving of God's heaven, but we know we're going there because of God's promises. All right, now I've got one minute left, and I've got to quickly take us down to verse 13. And here is the culmination of this whole act of becoming a believer. You now recognize that Christ died for our sin. We recognize that we're hopeless in ourselves, and now we call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, and again, what's the promise? Shall be saved. That's a promise. You know, I've used it before, and I'll use it again. You take a swimming pool on a hot summer day, and all those kids yelling and screaming, it's the kid that's in trouble, in spite of all the other racket that the lifeguard hears. Now, I think God is the same way. Oh, his ear is tuned to the very second that a sinner cries out and says, God, I'm a sinner, but I believe that you died for me. Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at one 800 369 7856. That's 1-800-369-7856. Remember, this is a faith ministry, and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening, and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.